You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He will have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. Now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Coming to you from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, G.A., it is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports. You know him. You love him. Uh, you probably think about him in some context or another. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, and hopefully you like me okay. And if not, then please send all complaints uh, to JC. No, just uh, hit, <laughs> hit me up on Twitter, at Morgan on Air. You can hit JC up, at JC Sherbert as well. We've got uh, some exciting news about the podcast that we'll get to later on as we continue to uh, grow this thing, and we appreciate all of you that have been on board since the beginning, or even if it's just been a few weeks, uh, the numbers keep growing, and that's a good thing. We, we're happy to hear that. We're excited to talk about another week in college football, and uh, I don't know if excited is the right word, but we are going to tackle the biggest story that does not involve anything going on the field in college football. We've been kind of waiting for that to see how much legs it has and now that we know it's got plenty we'll get into it but uh, before we get into all of that jc how was your week ah very good um very good week weekend um enjoyed watching some some ball this weekend uh, some exciting games really uh surprisingly exciting games uh, at times i'm still like a little bit you know i looked at this weekend's schedule and i'm still like waiting for that weekend where you go man it's a lot of good games this weekend. I, we just hadn't had it yet. I, I don't know why. Um, you know, I I still not to continue to beat the dead horse. I, I think you know the week one scheduling left a lot to be desired this year, just because of some of the matchups and uh, uh, that obviously those sometimes are set years in advance, and you don't really you know expect that. But uh, you know, I'm still waiting on it. But some some good ball to talk about. Um, some interesting things happening around college football. Uh, we had our first firing. Um, you know, Chris Ash is out at Rutgers, which does not did not surprise me. I didn't think that was a very good hire to begin with. Nothing against Chris Ash. I just I think Rutgers needs to go outside of the box a little bit, and that wasn't. So we can talk about all that. And um, you know, uh, overall though, I'm I'm doing very very well. The Blacklist has been uh, is back on uh, Netflix now, so I've been binge watching it. And, <laughs> you know, actually pretty fired up about that. So I've had something to to do besides football. 
I'm uh, I'm binging or about to binge on Succession, which mm. is an HBO show, which is brilliantly written and uh, really unlike anything else uh, on the air right now. But uh, I had a, a weekend where I was in the Big Apple, my first trip to New York City in, in 10 years, saw Billy Joel in concert at the Garden. It doesn't get much better than that. I, I, I wouldn't even consider myself the most ardent of Billy Joel fans. I just had always heard what a great show he puts on. I had access to some good seats and uh, through a coworker of mine who's my spotter actually on college football. And he's been working with Billy Joel for, for years on the side. So a lot of fun. It, it is when you're up there. I mean, I don't have to tell everybody how great New York is. Uh, the food's great. The, the environment's great. There's so many things to do. Blah, 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 blah. I won't bore you with a, uh, a verbal photo album of my trip. It, it is unique, though, in that when you're there. So I was there during the course of this weekend. And, of course, Saturday, another college football Saturday came and went. And when you're down here in the South and you're down and wherever people are listening to, uh, you know, Atlanta, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, LSU, Texas, it's just a different feel there. You go outside and you go to sports bars or where, whatever the case may be, you'll find yourself telling the, the waitress, Hey, could you please put the football game on? Um, which one? Anyone? Like they, it, it just doesn't resonate the way it does. And, uh, and New York's a great sports town. It's just a pro sports town. And uh, this, of course, coincided coincided with the story you mentioned, which was the firing of the Rutgers coach Chris Ash. And I've again, I've been to Piscataway and I've done a game there. And we all know there's athletes that come out of New Jersey. You know it from your recruiting uh, days. Uh, but most of them seem to wind up at Penn State or other places. They, they just don't go to Rutgers. Uh, when I was there to do a game, it was the last year of Shiano, and he had it rolling. Now, you know, he had Ray Rice during his career, and they had that one magical year, chopping wood. And um, and then he left for the NFL, and Rutgers just went completely in the toilet. And then they changed conferences, which is one of the worst fits that there are of the 65, 64, 65 Power 5 schools. Nothing feels more... I don't want to say uncomfortable, just <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> disjointed. I, I, it just doesn't feel Rutgers in the big 10. Just there's nothing there. They offer nothing to the conference in any sport. And I'm not sure if the conference other than a big payday offers much to Rutgers. Uh, if this was soccer, like relegation, they voted, they were already been, would have been kicked out of the league, but we don't have that. Uh, anyway, I, I couldn't help but think of that as that was going on. And the one game that I got to see the most of, was Clemson, North Carolina. And this is what the the people that run the sport was desperately hoping for. What college football has been lacking in addition to the premier matchups that you speak of, and again, we're going to get a lot of them in November. It's not like this is going to be the the one year where there's never been great matchups in college football. They're they're coming, folks, but we just got to keep waiting. Uh, and you mentioned it. This is another pretty lackluster week. We'll get into Florida, Auburn. That's great, but there, there's not a lot of great matchups. There haven't been for the last couple of weeks. We'll get there in November. On top of that, we have the anticlimactic postseason uh, scenarios, which have the same teams winning every week and clearly are at another level than than tier two. But we almost had what college football uh, kind of thrives on, and that is the major upset. 
and this would have been the, the typical it's a it's a top five team conference game on the road against a team they should beat rather handily but they don't that is something we've seen in college football since the beginning of time and it has been what has kind of kept the sport juiced for a lot of the casual fan that manages to get outside their bubble and not just care about their one team their one game so here's clemson and here's north carolina and north carolina is doing everything they can to win this game and mac brown is sitting there and smiling and him and Dabo go back a ways and uh, Max pushing all the right buttons and I, I'm sitting there and I'm watching the game and they're marching down the field and I'd say if they get a touchdown I guarantee it they're going to go for two and I don't I, I'm not second guessing going for two I think it was the right move I get it I like it the play call however <laughs> weak really really weak you, you got a guy who's been clutch throwing the football you do a little option play uh, it, it just, it just didn't, it just didn't look, and that's not 2020 hindsight because again, I'm, I'm defending the call to go for two. I'm not defending the play call. That was, that was pretty weak. Nevertheless, uh, we almost had what college football has been looking for. And that is a, a major upset. We also had another indication and I look, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with my little war games, DEFCON chart here, JC. <laughs> we, we almost had clemson going down and they have not looked great the biggest difference to me everybody wants to be obsessed with trevor lawrence and i get it the biggest difference to me is that offensive line it's not nearly what it was a year ago you go back in that alabama game and you watch that national championship game remember a cat by the name of quinnon williams who was basically known as unblockable they blocked him in that game for four quarters you're talking about a, a, a top 10 nfl draft pick that people were comparing to aaron donald Right now, I don't see that kind of performance on the O-line. Um, so anyway, they're looking a little bit vulnerable. So I, I look, they're still DEFCON 5, but they, they're, they're flirting with DEFCON 4 if they keep playing the way they're playing. Well, yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure it was uncomfortable for some of their fans, but the bottom line is this. Clemson won a two-point game on the road and a six-point game at home last year. Uh, the previous season, they lost a three-point game on the road to Syracuse. The previous season, the first national championship year, they lost a one-point game at home to uh, Pitt, and I think they beat Troy by six and Auburn by six. Great programs play close games. I know that everybody's used to Alabama not playing close games, and I think that's part of the whole Alabama has sucked the oxygen out of the room in the last 10 years a little bit because – you know, when Bama plays a one-point game a couple of years ago, I remember they went on the road to Arkansas and won by one, and Nick Saban had to, like, just get mad in a press conference because nobody was happy. I mean, that's that's just kind of um, that's just kind of how it's been. You know, we have a program in Georgia, uh, and no offense to you dog fans, and, and I have uh, a lot of good things to say about Georgia, uh, especially the atmosphere you got at Sanford now and – you know, the win over Notre Dame, which some of you weren't happy with. But, you know, you have a bunch of – you have a program in Georgia that's really kind of built itself into a top three team on the basis of a three-point loss in a national championship game, be it on the last play of the ball game but uh, and, and, and a, an amazing game. But uh, that's kind of where we're at. And so if you're Clemson, you know, it's it's – and you've kind of won two out of the last three and you're the big dog now – 
playing a one-point game on the road is shocking. But I'll tell you this, that, that offensive line, Mike, Clemson returned a lot of starters off last year's O-line, and they were talking about it being one of the best in program history heading into this year. Uh, I know they're not playing as well, but I'm not going to pretend like they're not capable. And, and, and sometimes it's good to have a situation like this where you struggle a little bit, you don't play your best, you have a great escape, and you go and you fix problems. Um, it's much better to fix problems after a win than after a loss, which with Clemson's strength of schedule this year could have potentially been catastrophic. You know, they lose that game, Mike. Uh, even if they went out, you know, depending, trouble. depending on what happens elsewhere, yeah, I mean, you can't really justify, you know, them being in over like a, let's say Texas wins the Big 12 and their only losses to LSU uh, or something like that. So, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing when you win. Great programs win close games. Great programs escape. Um, sometimes great programs, in, in the case of Ohio State, they have that, you know, they'll get blown out on the road in a conference game. <laughs> That's happened. That happened a couple of times. Not this year, though, because the Buckeyes are rolling. But And I want to give credit to North Carolina, too. Here's what Mac Brown's done. You know, when Larry Fedora was the coach there last year, I think they went 2-9. and nine. I think they had, you know, a, a bushel of losses by one score or less, a lot of close losses. He's taken what talent they did leave. He's put Powell in at quarterback, who's a – Really good fit for their system. He hired two very good coordinators. Um, and, you know, he has that, has that organization believing. I mean, you're talking about a Tar Heel team that, you know, after they beat South Carolina and came back and, and won that one and came back against Miami in spectacular fashion and won, they had lost to Wake and Appalachian State back-to-back. Um, now, Wake and Appalachian State may be the two best teams in the state of North Carolina this year. <laughs> you know, take take nothing away from those two. Wake may be the second best team in the ACC, but you know, I don't think expectations were very high for the Tar Heels to make it a competitive game, much less have a chance to win. As far as the call at the end, I'm with you and just about everybody else. I don't mind the call. I don't mind going for two. Let's win it. Um, you know, and I, and I think if you're Mac Brown, that's good for you because it kind of shows, you know, hey, the old man, you know, this is not this is not weekend at Bernie's, you know, <laughs> this is weekend at Max, and and you know, there were there was still like a minute left, so even if you tie it up, there's nothing that says Clemson doesn't hit an amazing pass. You know, they got the best quarterback in college football. You know, n- nothing says they're not going to sit there and still go down and beat you, and, and at least then, you know. It's win or lose with your defense, and you don't have to worry about overtime and all that. So I, I thought that um, I like the call. I didn't like the play call, though. I just thought with how they had been moving it up and down the field, they'd attack the middle of the Clemson defense, which is not as strong as it was last year. It's still very strong. But, you know, you lose those linebackers. You lose, you know, the, the interior defensive linemen they had that they were going to take a small step back. They're still very good, but – Clemson's defense is is tougher to attack, in my opinion, on the perimeter, where you guys you got guys like a freak linebacker like Isaiah Simmons and you know some of those defensive backs that are rolling around. But but I think North Carolina is going to be a team. Mike Virginia and the Tar Heels. I think that that's what the Coastal Division will probably come down to this year. You know Virginia lost at Notre Dame, but I still think they're an awfully solid football team. And in your first year at North Carolina. Your first year back, if you were Mac Brown, if you were in the hunt for the division, which I believe they will be, that's a pretty good start considering this team was 5-19 and 19 over the last two years. Uh, as for what it means for Clemson, well, you know, we'll see what they do against Florida State. Um, 
moving forward. I think that's the next game for them, the the, the Seminoles. But, uh, you know, chances are they're going to rally and, you know, <laughs> lay a beat down on FSU here in a couple of weeks. And, and, and chances are they're going to be just fine. Uh, you know, th- th- that Wake Forest game may loom large, though, because I, I, I do think Wake Forest is a very good football team this year. And very well coached by a guy who's going to be a hot candidate at, at the end of the year. And I think the only way that Florida State – uh, defeats Clemson as if Willie Taggart is calling plays for Clemson. Um, <laughs> some of the other, some of the other, uh, so we got on DEFCON five. It's, it's the same. And again, the, these are the programs in the best shape. You don't want to be on, you want to be on five. You don't want to be on one little war games reference, Bama, Ohio state, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU. So, you know, the, the same, uh, and Clemson that you're used to the same six. I'm going to put, I'm going to add one. And I do this reluctantly because because in my estimation, there still are some concerns. I never feel that confident about a team that has a true freshman quarterback and an offensive line that at times was a little bit leaky, but I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, Auburn continues to impress. We already knew they were going to have perhaps the best defensive line in college football. Gus Malzahn calling plays again. That's huge. Uh, Auburn just has the feel this year uh, that I'll put them there. Now, I, they better take care of business in Florida. Otherwise, I'm taking it all back. Um, <laughs> I, I, we're going we're gonna to edit this tape because I've actually been the one that's been very reluctant to put Auburn as highly. I mean, some people have talked about Auburn as a top three team, and I, I, I'm not there. I'm just not there. But there's a lot to like there. If uh, if they do what I think they should do in Gainesville, I'm not implying that's going to be an easy game, but I am implying that they have a more complete team uh, than than Auburn will very much deserve to be on on DefCon Five. But we'll talk more about that game later on. You know, DefCon Three, uh, you still got Michigan there. Th- there was an underrated game, not underrated to the particular fan bases, but uh, South Carolina Kentucky was a a huge game for both those teams and that the loser, I thought, I thought they were going to flip flop two and three. So Kentucky losing now winless in the sec and clearly missing Terry Wilson. They're, they're on DEFCON two in terms of their season. Uh, and I think South Carolina moves back to DEFCON three and, you know, you realize, okay, there, there, there is talent on that team and the sky is not falling. They've really only lost one game that I thought that they wouldn't. And that was North Carolina. And I thought that was pretty close to a swing game. And we just saw North Carolina nearly beat Clemson. So I really don't think there's been anything that shocking about the Gamecock season thus far. Uh, and we know DEFCON won. I don't want to get back into Tennessee. They didn't lose because they didn't uh, play anybody. Rutgers football and Chris Ash, DEFCON won. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Everybody's going to say Graciano, Graciano, Graciano. And if you're Graciano, maybe that's a tempting offer. They certainly, they'll have, again, they'll have Big Ten money to offer a coach. But that is a really, really difficult job in a super hard division that you're never even going to come close to winning. This is not the Rutgers job when he had it, when they were in the Big East and it was very winnable and you had a chance, to, you actually had a chance to get to a BCS bowl game. That's those days are over. You're dealing with a new reality. Uh, there's a new calculus in Piscataway. Um, so that job to me is easily one of the top three or bottom three, depending on how you look at it, 
worse jobs for a head coach if he plans on winning, if he plans on actually winning. So there's going to be all kinds of names associated with that. But Rutgers football is on DEFCON 1. They, they just go out there, and they're just not even competitive. It's, it's hard to watch. Um, Tennessee's about to play Georgia. They're a 20-something point underdog. Garantano might not even start. They might go with a true freshman. And there's just – normally that game has a lot of buzz. It doesn't, it doesn't right now because Tennessee is, is still kind of a mess. And then DEFCON 2, I'm putting – and I told you this was probably going to happen early. I'm putting the entire Pac-12 on DEFCON 2. <laughs> because. They just keep beating each other. You know? Yeah, I mean, you just like, you almost, if, if I'm if I'm Larry Scott, and not a lot has gone right for Larry Scott here of late, I almost tempted to like just put the whole, just kind of get the, uh, the decision makers in a room to, in a smoke filled room together and say, look, I know this is unethical and I know this goes <laughs> against the, the, the spirit of, of competition, but why don't we go ahead and you guys need to lose this game and you guys need to win that game. Let's just set the table to give us a chance at the playoff by Washington, knocking off Southern Cal. It's over. Okay. There's nobody from the PAC 12, for the third straight year that will be in the playoff. They will be completely null and void when it comes to postseason talk or conversation. Oh, by the way, Cal lost, but we knew that was going to happen anyway. It was not banking uh, the chances of the Pac-12 on Cal going undefeated. So uh, the Pac-12 is back on DEFCON 2. I mean, look, they're not going to fold, and there's no imminent changes in terms of what teams are in or out of the, of the conference but it's it's the same old, same old for that league. And we keep talking about the Power Five, the Power Five, the Power Five. When it comes to the playoff, it's really more looking like the Power Four the last few years. The Pac-12 needs to pray that Auburn runs the table and has one of those Auburn years and wins the SEC. <laughs> um, and that Oregon, Oregon wins out. I mean, Oregon's got Cal this weekend, though, and... Just looking at the way things are going, it wouldn't surprise me at all for Cal to go up there and win in Eugene. You know, Washington is is four and one, but I just, you know, Mike, it's just tough. I mean, it's tough to sit there and get, you know, and then Oregon and Washington have to play each other at some point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. that's actually an underrated rivalry. Those two schools hate each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it is sad and because I do think that the football in that league is good. I think there are six, seven quality football teams in the Pac-12 this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, like, if you compared it top to bottom, you know, without the top in the ACC, like two through 14 in the ACC versus two through 12 in the Pac-12, I'm going to take all of those Pac-12 teams most likely, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's a good conference. It's just they, they ju- there's just not a great team. And they beat each other up, and that's kind of how you end up getting to the playoffs. So, yeah, it's definitely DEFCON 2 out there. Um, everybody that wants the Pac-12 to be in the playoff, pull for Oregon and pull for Auburn. Uh, because a- a- Oregon was in that football game, had them beat almost. And Auburn goes on and does something special this year, like Auburn does in years where the expectations are not high, um, for whatever reason. I mean, you can make a big argument for a one-loss Oregon if, like, let's say a Clemson stubs their toe and they don't win out, um, you know, or if Oklahoma and Texas beat each other up and cross-cancel each other or something like that, or if the Big Ten doesn't have a team, which I I think Ohio State looks pretty much the like the one of the most dominant teams in college football right now because they're playing defense this year. 
Um, and very quietly, the Buckeyes under Ryan Day, who has not lost a game as a head coach, um, hmm. looks legit, legit right now. But I've got a new, I've got a new DefCon One member. I'm gonna throw oh, bring it. We're opening up the doors. It's you know we're we're very inclusionary in DefCon One. I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna take you from Knoxville. Go right outside Knoxville, like you're going to uh, to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. You can go see Dollywood, right? But oh no, 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 no. You're gonna take that little highway off of I-40. You're not gonna go to Pigeon Forge. You can go up I-81 through Johnson City, Tennessee. Straight on up through the mountains of southwest Virginia to a little place called Blacksburg. <laughs> Virginia Tech is the this is the worst Virginia Tech team I have mm. seen in 25 to 30 years. And it's not just that they're playing bad, Mike. They they just don't look like they care. And mm-hmm. here's the problem for Justin Fuente. And I'm gonna say I was wrong about this hire. Me too. Um, as of right now, now hey, he may turn it around, and we are we're all sitting there going, "Boy, we thought Justin Fuente had lost it, and he didn't." Um, I thought that because of his ability to evaluate his history with TCU, which is kind of a program like Virginia Tech, they have to go make good evaluations and recruit. Um, kind of the, I call it the Highland way, you know, like from Braveheart. It's like, well, run and hide like the Highland way. You know, and uh, they have to kind of recruit that way. That's how Frank Beaver built that program into one of the best in the country and most consistent. And I thought Fuente was a perfect fit. And then he won the division his first year. And we were all like, man, this guy, he's going to have it rolling. He's going to keep it rolling. They're not only losing, they look like they don't care. They lost 45 to 10 at home on a Friday night to Duke. At Lane Stadium, Duke came into Lane Stadium. Blacksburg, Virginia handed the Hokies their worst home loss, I think, in 40 years, 45-10. to 10. And this is not one of the best Duke teams that David Cutcliffe has had. Daniel mm-hmm. Jones is in the NFL. Um, they struggled to beat Furman. They struggled to beat Old Dominion. They lost to Boston College in the opener, and I think they lost uh, – I think they lost another one, too, somewhere in there. But – it's just bad. I know a lot of Hokie fans. They're good people, um, good fan base. I have a lot of friends. Uh, but they're going to have to make a decision. And it's not just all the on-the-field stuff, too, Mike. That article that came out over the summer where, you know, there were documented instances of players trying to tank games last year because they didn't want to go to a bowl. Um, it's awful. That kind of stuff can accelerate your departure um, and I think this, I think Justin Fuente could end up being the next guy uh, if things continue to be this bad in Blacksburg. They're not used to losing like this up at, up at Virginia. Tech. What's the criticism of him? I mean, it's, I, I know you've got contacts there. Uh, I am, you know, we used to do a segment called Hits and Misses, um, and this would have let off my misses. I thought that was a slam dunk hire. I, if I were some of the other programs that were in the running for Justin Fuente that that missed out, I would have been jealous. Uh, to me, that was the guy that it just made all the sense in the world. Now, geography can always be tricky for certain coaching hires, although I'm, I'm going to give you an example of a guy in a few moments that, that defies what I'm saying. But I, I thought that would be a slam. So where where's the disconnect? I, I don't get it. Why is it not working? 
Well, because here's what I think. I think that people paid a lot of attention to the recruiting rankings under Frank Beamer, and they thought, well, you know, he's he never recruits all that well. You know, he just kind of makes good evaluations and does this. And, and here's the problem. It's, it's not that you sign a bunch of two- and three-star guys. Of course, there are no two-stars anymore. But it's not that you sign those guys. It's that you, you don't sign the right ones. I mean, and it's the same way when you're recruiting five stars and four stars. It's just a different – I mean, we would not have a Florida State and Tennessee situation or Southern Cal situation this year if, if it were just as easy as signing four- and five-star guys. And Frank Beamer, I, I know a lot about how he operated his program. I've talked to multiple sources that are familiar with it. And, and the guy, you know, he was kind of the special teams coach and the head coach, but what he did do is heavily involved with the evaluation process up there. Now, you'd think Justin Fuente found the quarterback. Was it Memphis? That I don't remember his name, but he was really good. And he, 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 he built Memphis from a 4-8 and eight team to a you know 11-1 team. Paxton Lynch, yeah, that was yeah. him. Found him. And so you think, well, gosh, he's going to – He's going to be just like Frank and go find guys. Well, that just hadn't happened. Uh, I also think defensively, you know, Bud Foster, and he's had better days, and he's retiring after this year anyway. Um, but outside of drawing up that game plan for the opener or the week two game in, in Columbus a couple of years ago where they beat Ohio State, I think they won the national championship. Ohio State won it all that year. Um, I, I hadn't really seen a consistently good Virginia Tech defense, to be honest. And they just don't seem to have the players, and and it's and the culture there uh, has eroded. Now, you know, you talk to other people that tried to get involved with Fuente at the time Virginia Tech was open, um, some SEC jobs and some other jobs that will remain, you know, I'll keep those confidential. But, you know, what some people told me behind the scenes is he wants no part of recruiting in the Southeastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you take that to mean, well, it kind of gets harried down there or whatever. But I still think that in Virginia Tech, they expect you to go recruit. I mean, you got a big old state full of great players, and then you look up the road at Bronco Mendenhall, who's turned around the fortunes of that program. Um, and Tech's sitting there on a 15-game winning streak against UVA that probably will get snapped this year. I just, uh, you know, I, I think that was maybe him just kind of thinking, well, you know, it's, it's the Virginia Tech. They're in the ACC Coastal. I can just kind of recruit whoever and – plug them into my system and it'll work. And, you know, that's just kind of not the reality of that program. You know, nobody expects Virginia Tech to recruit numerically in the top 10, but you do have to recruit good players. It doesn't matter what you're ranked and you have to develop them and have a system and all that. That's how Frank Beamer won at that school. Um, And that's, that's not what Justin Fuente is doing. Uh, And then you throw in the culture issues. I mean, when you got guys just openly saying, don't score a touchdown because we don't want to go to a bowl. And then that gets out in public. I mean, that's just a bad look. That's just a bad look. Um, and then you lose to, to Duke at home 45-10. to 10. You know, it, it all kind of piles up on you. Uh, and, and that's just a bad situation uh, up there for the Hokies and Fuente. And, you know, quite frankly, if you hadn't had that, get out in public and stuff like that, I'd say, ah, well, he's just struggling. It's kind of the year four dip. He'll be he'll be back and he'll be fine, but there's more to it than just wins and losses. So I think he may be gone. Interesting. I never would have seen that one coming, uh, but it's certainly as we know these things they snowball in a hurry now more than ever. Um, it becomes there's so much vitriol that that just gets out there, and there and so many avenues for it to get out there. 
that when it's not working, your your fan base, they're when they're not with you, they're against you. In so many cases, when they're not with you, they are against you. And there are coaches that will tell you when things aren't going well, they'd rather play on the road than at home because you're going to see empty seats and you're going to hear boo birds. Uh, and sometimes even just being around your campus is just bad. You just want to get on that charter flight on Friday and get the hell out of Dodge when things are going really bad. Uh, and obviously things are not going well in Blacksburg. So everything you just said to describe Justin Fuente, I'm going to give you the opposite. And here is a coach I'm going to put on DEFCON 5. Uh-oh. And nobody's talking about him. And nobody's talking about this team. Matt Rule of Baylor. Matt Rule of Baylor. That's right. You heard me right. Another win against a quality opponent. This, In this case, uh, Iowa State. They're now 4-0. They haven't played the toughest schedule in the world, like a lot of Big 12 school. Like These conferences that brag and pound their chest, we play nine conference games. Well, so many of them start off with three cupcakes <laughs> before they play nine conference games. And, and they might lose this week at Kansas State. I haven't checked the spread. They're probably an underdog in that game. But Matt Rule has gone to a mess. It went into an absolute you-know-what storm in Waco. And has turned that thing around. And sure enough, what happens two days ago, they don't waste any time. Because I was being, I actually know some people that are very familiar with Matt Rule. They've known him for a long time. Matt Rule is a, he's a New York guy. He, I mean, there is nothing that, that fits with Matt Rule in Waco, Texas. And that's part of the reason why he was a little skeptical to take that job. Uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who, who played at Penn State, who made his name coaching at Temple. Born in New York, Northeastern guy, basically all the way. Spent a year as an assistant coach with the New York Giants. Uh, But for whatever reason, Baylor just said, I I don't care about any of that. All I know is the guy can coach, and let's go ahead and get him. And now they just just re-upped him, contract extension that could keep him through 2027. And I know extensions are only worth the paper they're written on. But one thing you got to know about Baylor and all those Texas schools. There are schools with a lot of money, and then there are schools with oil money. And Baylor's got a lot of money. So if they want to keep them, there's a good chance they will, even though, uh, again, from what I've heard through the grapevine, Matt Rule is certainly a guy that would consider maybe going to the NFL, maybe something else that's a little more geographically friendly to his background. But uh, Matt Rule has done some good things this year. Again, no one's talking about Baylor, and I'm not saying they're going to be a factor in the Big 12 championship race, but big win against Iowa State. And I think, unlike Justin Fuente, who didn't inherit a mess at all, he walked into a pretty good situation. It was it was kind of just set up there pretty well, and it hasn't gone well. I'm going to give uh, Matt Rule some credit and get him on the DEFCON coaching list on the uh, – the four or five range, I'll put them for now. We'll see. We'll see how that holds with K State uh, looming in the wings. Yeah, Matt Rule is a, is a rising star. Uh, I think a coach. If you're Virginia Tech, you could have probably easily hired him away from Temple, <laughs> but you hired, uh, uh, you know, and it probably have been a better fit because he could have recruited the Northeast for you sure. and stuff. But um, you know, I, I, I've always thought he was a heck of a coach. You know, 
I don't know when Temple became the cradle of coaches, but it suddenly has. <laughs> it has. And, and that's one of the worst jobs in the country. If you ask any coach, they're like, the facilities are terrible. You're in Philly, which is a basketball town. It's a basketball school. You play in a pro stadium. I mean, you know, and, and you look at them compared to Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey, and Temple's football fortunes have been better than Rutgers. And, and look, I, I know Temple's not in – I mean, they're in the American. They're not in the Big Ten. If they're in the Big Ten, they probably get get it handed to them. But who has more good wins in in recent years, upset wins, and who's more competitive and whose coaches are going and getting good jobs and winning elsewhere? Not all of them, but a lot of them are. Um, Temple. And who's just getting fired? Rutgers. So, yeah, I, and I uh, – I, I, Baylor was an absolute mess. I didn't know that they would ever win anything again. I thought, you know, I thought Rule was a heck of a coach and a good hire. You know, I had questions about the fit as well. You know, but but he's a guy that um, has just continued to win and win and win and overcome. You know, and just like you know, two and ten his first year at Temple, then he never had another losing season. One and eleven his first year at Baylor. Now he's you know eleven and six since that point. Um, you know, hats off to him because that that's a tough, tough situation. And, and and coaching in Texas, Mike, if you're not from Texas, that you you've already got a strike against you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so, he's a Yankee. He's a damn Yankee. He's from New New York. You remember that that uh, Pate's Picani sauce commercials? Like New York City was that Pate's Picani sauce? I don't know, but I like I'm it. I'm from New York City. New York City. I don't know. <laughs> you ain't from around here, boy. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe our, our fan on Twitter, Gator Takes, at Gator Takes, can uh, tweet at me after this and see if he remembers that. that yeah, uh, he's all over those pop culture. Yeah, reference. it's outstanding. So, he, yeah. He's all over the. By the way, since you mentioned Temple, uh, I, this, this relates to Temple in two different ways, and I'm going to put not the coach, but I'm going to put the program on DEFCON 2, and I know it's a rebuild, but holy cow, Georgia Tech is awful. (laughs) So Georgia Tech, led by former Temple head coach Jeff Collins, takes on Temple, I guess you could call it the Jeff Collins Bowl, and they lose 24-2. to Again, whoever was going to replace Paul Johnson was going to have to completely gut everything. And they're taking their lumps. I, I'm not sitting here telling you Jeff Collins is doing a bad job. He's a bad coach. He's a bad hire. Nothing like that. I'm just telling you, Georgia Tech's a mess. Um, that is, they're they're now one and three. They they just look awful. They're they're not even competitive in most of their games. And clearly, they don't have the personnel to run an offense in the 21st century. And that none of these things are the fault of Jeff Collins. But that's whoever walked into that job. That's what they were going to face, and that's what they're facing right now. And I'm going to go ahead and throw a guy that I got a lot of respect for as a head coach, but I just don't know that he's going to survive. I'm going to go ahead and throw USF and Charlie Strong in there at DEFCON 1. Oh, gosh, yes. Because, man, oh, man. I mean, since they started, I think they started, what, 7-1 and one last year? They lost out. Now they're 1-3. and three. They got whipped by SMU 48-21 at home. <laughs> They've only beaten South Carolina State. And they did lose to Georgia Tech for Georgia Tech's only win of the year. So, um, hmm. Throw up, throw the, and, and with UCF success down there, you know they can't. Oh, those folks! That that's a little rivalry, you know, the I four rivalry, the war on I four, if you will. 
Um, so that can't help uh, Charlie Strong's case down there uh, with the Bulls here um, with the way things are. Yeah, you know, Charlie, I mean, we've talked about Charlie before, and 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 I've covered Charlie Strong and, and very familiar with his career inside and out. And with the exception of one or two years at Louisville with an NFL quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater before they moved to the ACC when they played in a weak league and they had more talent and they rolled up some wins, the, the Charlie Strong phenomenon has not lived up to any of the hype. It's like a really good movie trailer followed up by a really mediocre to bad movie. That has been Charlie Strong in a nutshell. You look at what he did at Texas with all the resources in the world. You had a lot of people propping up Charlie as the next great thing as a head coach in college football. And the, the results just haven't been there. They, they just haven't. And I, 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 if that is a job. USF in that conference in Tampa – they should be dominating. They should be right there with UCF, if not ahead of UCF. There's no way USF should be bad in that league. And they, they had the memorable game against UCF last year. They did lose it, came down to some, some big plays toward the end. But for the most part, uh, yes, Charlie is definitely on the lower ranks of, of the DEFCON list. I'll add one other interesting tidbit. I'm going to put Alabama's defense on DEFCON 3. <laughs> because I, I mean has anybody been noticing you don't notice because their offense is so ridiculously good that you don't notice an offense like Ole Miss hardly explosive racks up 279 yards rushing mm. rushing the football I mean defenses are putting up points against Bama I don't see a Quinn and Williams I don't see look they're good Relax, Bama fans. I'm not saying Alabama's overrated. or I'm just telling you, this is not your typical Nick Saban defense. You saw what Holinsky did, Ryan Holinsky, freshman quarterback of South Carolina, what, what he did. Uh, even Again, it's a loss, but teams are ro- racking up yards, putting up points. I mean, at some point, I would think that would concern Alabama fans a little bit. Uh, I'm just putting them on DEFCON 3. Just, they're going to they're gonna go ahead and they're going to – cruise into that LSU game undefeated and then we'll see what happens then they're going to go into Auburn perhaps still undefeated then we'll see what happens then they'll perhaps go into the SEC championship game undefeated but at some point they might have to have a game where the defense wins it for them and not just Tua and his band of NFL wide receivers scoring on virtually every possession I, I'm going to say this. I think Alabama got rich rotted a little bit this this weekend. You know, Rich Rodriguez, as we all know, is the offensive coordinator there. Uh, John Rice Plumley, I think you say, I think it's Rice or John Reese Plumley, quarterback for Ole Miss. 20, Rice. 20, John Rice Plumley, twenty five carries, one hundred and nine yards. Freshman guy that they uh, they I think they flipped him from another school. He was uh, expected to go play some other position or something and. You know, he's the type of guy in Rich Rod's offense that you know, keeps it. You know, they run that classic. It's hard to say Rich Rod's offense is classic zone read now, but, it, you know, it's been 13 years since the Pat White era at West Virginia. Um, and, and so I think I think that's kind of what happened to them. And, you know, they kind of got bounced out of gaps and, and some stuff like that. And they, it, it's not that they're not good. You're right, Mike. It, it's that they have some youth and inexperience in the middle of that defense. And, you know, even some of the better teams over the years that have played a West Virginia or played, I'm going to not 
include Michigan in that because that was a disaster. But Arizona out in the Pac-12 and Rich Rod's been coaching and, and run that stuff. So some teams struggle with that. I mean, it, it's a kind mm-hmm. of a special prep. And when you're young and you just don't, you know, you got freshmen in the middle of your D, they're, they're good players, but uh, they may struggle uh, at times. But I think, I think Bama's going to be fine. I, I, I'm with you. I would, you know, th- that fan base needs some things to go uh, higher on the DEFCON scale. You know, they need some adversity because – they just hadn't had very much in the last 10 years. <laughs> and, no. so, and so you throw in the blowout loss last year and, you know, you, you, you throw in some, you know, ugly defensive statistical games this year. And uh, there, there may be some uh, angst and consternation out there in uh, Tuscaloosa. And that's not to mention that Auburn's playing really well, too. And so is LSU. So, um Nothing wrong, Bama fans, with sweating a little bit, <laughs> you know, because quite frankly, that's what kind of makes it fun sometimes. Sure, so, sure, you yeah. Know, but but I, I'm with you. I, mean, I I do think there are reasons for this, but I, I honestly don't think, you know, these guys can – I mean, even even in two weeks when they go out to A&M and play, you know, A&M's probably not as good as we thought. But, you know, you, you can't just go out there and let the Aggies go up and down the field on him. Can't get to the can't get to um, Bam LSU fast enough. <laughs> I, I never like wishing my life away to get to some some event. I just wish we could move that off the calendar from November to October because yeah. we need that kind of matchup now as we're actually into October. Uh, but we got to wait. We got to wait. I know a lot of people were excited about Bama A and M when it came on the schedule. As you predicted, Arkansas gave A and M a run. Uh, with all due respect to Arkansas. Um, to me, it's more a reflection on A&M is just not that good at this point. Uh, I, I'm not sitting here and uh, ripping Jimbo Fisher, questioning the $75 million contract. I know some people have already gone that route way too early for that. But I'm just – Texas A&M is kind of what I thought they would be. I, I didn't think they were a true contender this year. There are a lot of people that were ready to just kind of skip a couple of steps mm-hmm. with A&M from – a uh, good story that Jimbo's competitive in year one, too. They could win the West in 2019. I, I never was there to make that jump, um, and I don't think they are either. They beat Arkansas, and by the way, not to rub salt in the wounds, but you know we had Arkansas on DEFCON 1 after the loss last week to San Jose State, a 20-something point favorite. San Jose State goes out and plays Air Force in a Mountain West clash, hmm. and uh, – Josh Love and company of Air Force. That's right. You heard me right. Josh Love and uh, wide receiver Gerard Sanders. We all know him. They blow out San Jose, San Jose State 41-24. So San Jose State's still bad, and they still beat Arkansas in Fayetteville in front of a stunned crowd. Yeah. Go, no, ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to point out since 2014, um, which is when they started playing this uh, series as an SEC game on a neutral field, there have been three overtime games in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two um, did not go to overtime. A&M's won them by seven and four. Um, biggest margin of victory for A&M. A&M hasn't lost since 2011 to the Hogs. Uh, so they've won a lot in a row. Uh, but the, you know, the, the largest margin of victory was 2016, which, you know, I think that was the second to last Brett Bielema team. Um, and a pretty good A&M team, 45-24. So that's kind of one of those series, Mike, that kind of 
if anybody's getting a bunch of points, you, you know, you're going to be historically accurate. You know, if if you if you um, if you take the points, because um, you know Arkansas tends to give them a game every year, but you know. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think that there's anybody in Fayetteville going. Man, we played A and M close um, because of that San Jose State result. I mean, that's just a. <laughs> I never thought if you'd asked me what the one team that would come in and beat an SEC team at home that was you know and, and they, they, you said they play in the Mountain West, I would have thought anybody but San Jose State. Right. No question. Uh, before we get into, <coughs> excuse me, the future games, the. Uh, small amount of big games coming up on Saturday and also the major issue that is kind of coming right down the pike for college football and college basketball in particular. I do want to mention one of our proud sponsors, BP Skinner Clothiers, Brent Skinner and the gang have you taken care of for all your custom made men's clothing needs from shirts to jackets, accessory, the very best brands, the very best materials, the very best look and style. And again, one of the best things about dealing with BP Skinner is that you don't have to go there. He will come to you no matter where you are in the country. Brent Skinner deals with people all over, customers all over the country, uh, because it truly has become a nationwide brand. He's just, well, that good. I can speak firsthand of, uh, about that. There's no doubt about it. And now if you mention the J.C. and Morgan podcast with any purchase of a suit or sports coat, you'll get a free custom-made shirt. Those are also it's amazing what a difference a custom-made shirt makes in terms of how you look and how you feel. Go ahead and uh, check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll see the contact information, set up an, opinion, uh, an appointment rather with Brent. He'll come out to you and, again, mention J.C. and Morgan, and you'll have a free custom-made uh, dress shirt with your name on it, literally, or, or name or initials, that'll be uh, – coming down the pike as well okay so here we have it another non-plus week of games before we get to the headliner i thought this was interesting with georgia tennessee this is um i guess at his weekly press conference this is jeremy pruitt talking about georgia and the job that kirby has done and basically he says and I'm trying to find it here. Excuse me. I'm I'm going through the uh, the quote list if I can find it, and I probably will. If I don't, I'll have to paraphrase. But basically, what he's saying is, yeah, you know, Kirby's done some good things, but let's be honest. In the last two years, before he got the job, the last two years under Mark Rick, they won 20 games. They he inherited a lot of talent. Uh, they went ahead and took advantage of that, and they're doing well. I don't have any problem with what he said because, honest to goodness, it's true. And you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. And this this is not a knock on Kirby Smart. It was the right hire. Kirby was a, a, a rising star as a coordinator under Nick Saban. But the fact of the matter is, as you and I talked about with Kirby and Muschamp and Pruitt, if you were to shuffle those – shuffle the deck and have all those guys land at different spots, there'd be different results. There just would. And whoever got that Georgia job, that's a primo, primo job that was in good shape. Say what you will about Mark Richt and the Mark Richt era. He left that program in very good shape, and whoever was going to walk in there was probably going to have a good deal of success. And on top of that, it's like following the guy in, in the you know a talent show that – 
He does some good things, but he also has some flaws in his act. Well, Mark Rick's flaws were he didn't beat Florida enough. He didn't win enough SEC championships. He didn't win the big one. And so you always had the chance to one-up the last guy. And whoever got that job was going to have that chance to one-up Mark Rick in all those categories. And Kirby Smart's already been to the one excuse me been to the sec championship game twice won it once been to the playoff uh got to the national championship game so in a lot of ways he's already won up mark rick but what what jeremy pruitt is doing in a i don't want to say passive aggressive way but he's just reminding everybody hey if you read between the lines what he's saying is i didn't inherit what kirby smart inherited have you seen what Tennessee has been the last 10 years? This job has been a mess, and Georgia has never been a mess, not in recent memory. you got to go back to the Ray Goff era for crying out loud. So I did think that was interesting as you know, we, we embark upon this game, and here's, you know, here's Georgia, a heavy uh, underdog. Let's see, the line is Tennessee is a 20 four-point underdog and there was and that's in knoxville there was a time where that would be one of the most competitive games at must see tv and now it's everybody's expecting georgia to roll there so i just thought that was interesting jeremy pruitt i don't know how the question was asked but he gave kirby a compliment but in the same context he wanted everybody to know hey i didn't inherit the same groceries to go ahead and make the meal that kirby did in athens uh, yeah, I mean, that's the truth. But he, here's the problem with that. Number one, like Jeremy Pruitt was uh, obviously on staff at Georgia when um, I think the last couple of years uh, under Mark Richt. And, and then he ended up going and getting his old job back under Saban when Kirby left for UGA. And so Jeremy Pruitt probably recruited some of those guys that played a lot of football for Kirby Smart um, at Georgia. Uh, you know, and 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 these guys are all kind of connected. So you, you obviously, you know, I think that's probably part of it. I think, you know, the Tennessee job is very frustrating. Um, it, 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 Georgia was a great situation. Um, just like really, honestly, LSU was a really good situation that, that Ed Orgeron got. Ed Orgeron now has one of the best teams in the country. You know. And he inherited a team from Les Miles that had won 10 games the year before. Um, and, and that's why so many people really, you know, covet jobs like that. They're, they're not, you know, it's not even so much the job. You know, it's not even so much, you know, you look at a place like Florida State. Um, and I think that's a terrific job. It may be the best in terms of everything you need from recruiting base to support to national brand, and I know they have some internal issues, um, to, you know, even with Clemson in their division to, you know, you know, path of least resistance, Florida State's a terrific job. But, you know, at the time, Willie Taggart tired. Um it wasn't anything like the Georgia job, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what was so unprecedented about it was Mark Richt did leave a team that was pretty doggone good. They won 10 games, you know, pretty doggone good year and had a lot of guys back. And there were a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys on that national, t- that it's not a national championship team. I think people want to call it that on that team that lost the national championship game that, that Mark Rick recruited and Kirby smarts recruited really, really well. And they've got great players and they are by far the best team in the Eastern division. But 
it was not a major rebuild with a bad culture, you know, like Jeremy Pruitt inherited. And even at that, Mike, it's not like Kirby Smart didn't have work to do his first year. You know, they lost to Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech. <laughs> that first year, nobody talks about that. That first mm-hmm. year, they lost to Vandy and Georgia Tech and didn't win the division, lost to Florida, you know. Um and so he had to do some culture changing. But I, I, I think that there's just a lot to go into his comments. I'm going to say this, and I love Jeremy Pruitt to death and, you know, don't know if he's going to work out at Tennessee or not, but I, I don't envy his job. I, I, I would not be saying a thing right now about any other program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good, bad, or indifferent. I would just be like, we're worried about us and, and playing a game just because, right. you know, there's just it, – it's just, you know, I mean, you lost to BYU and Georgia State at home. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you we're not competitive in the swamp. You've got problems, man. Yeah, Georgia's coming to town. Their fans are talking about doing a checkerboard in red and black in your own stadium. <laughs> and, and, and judging by the number of guy, folks they brought up to the Vanderbilt game – they're probably going to bring 15,000. So, they I mean, do it. it's not going to be a pretty scene in Knoxville next Saturday night. So, you know, I, that would just be my advice to Jeremy. I think he makes a great point, and we've talked about that here. But I, I'd just be talking about what I was going to do to make Tennessee yeah. better and more competitive. I agree. I mean, it, it's one of those things. Everything he said is factually correct. Mm-hmm but I don't know if it's his place to say it. And let me give you the exact quote again, just so I'm, I was paraphrasing before. Quote, I think the program he took over won 20 games in its previous two years. That helped. He had a very young football team that he inherited. He has done a really nice job, and he's done a really, he has a really nice staff together. It is a place where you can have success. Those guys were used to winning, and now he has been recruiting in his fourth year, and all those guys that he has there, he has recruited there. He has done a nice job of that, evaluating talent and going to get some of the best players in the country and coaching them up. Again, it's on the surface, it's innocuous what he said, mm-hmm. but I think there's a message there to his fan base to remind people, look, you're not human if when a fan base turns on you, and I don't know how much, you know, I'm not there in Knoxville or I'm not in Tennessee. I, I don't judge things based on message boards. If you if you try to take the temperature of a fan base based on message boards, you're going to be living in a distorted reality, in my opinion. Um, so I can't say that they've the, the overwhelming majority has turned on Jeremy Pruitt in year two. However, I think there are certainly people questioning the hire, Tennessee fans. And that might be fair. That might be unfair. That might be premature. It might be whatever you want to call it, but there's, it's, it's out there. And you know, then there's the Phil Fulmer stuff. And, again, I, I honestly don't think that's going to happen. I certainly don't think that is a solution. But, but it's out there. And so you wouldn't be human as a head coach the fans that you love and you want to make happy, when they turn on you, you get a little bit defensive, right? I've seen it happen. I've covered coaches that are on the hot seat, and I've seen the way they deal with the grind, okay? And when you when they do that, most of them don't show it. They hide it as well as they can. But when they're going home back to their wives, you know what they're saying? Bleep them. What, they have no bleeping idea how bleeping hard this bleeping job is. They're they're bleeping living in a fantasy world. 
That's what they're that's what they're going home and saying to their wife. That's what they're telling their great friends and family. Because it it, it kind of it forces you to almost take an us against them. It's almost like you feel like you've been backed into a corner by your own fan base. You you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel some of that emotion. So I've just I thought that was interesting, and you know it's barring a miracle, like you said, it could get pretty ugly pretty fast in, in Knoxville, and that'll just be something else for the fans to to gripe about and and uh, and start to question whether or not Jeremy Pruitt is the right guy. Fair or unfair, that is just the world we live in today. Everybody wants everybody fired after a loss, after a couple. Of, I mean, just we just can't we can't move on from it and go. Well, it is what it is this year. It, it that doesn't exist. It does not exist in today's day and age of college football. But on real NFL, it's not that much different. So I'm not picking on uh, the sport that we love so much. Okay, save this for last. And I, I JC, I thought about broaching this subject. The last couple of weeks, I was like, well, you know, we got a lot of other things to talk about and let's let's see where it goes. But now it's inescapable. And I'm talking about the bill that is passed in California, other bills that are passing in other states across the country. California is going to have kind of they're, they're going to be kind of known as the trailblazers in this. And it's the Fair Pay to Play Act, which basically says colleges in California cannot punish their athletes for collecting endorsement money. It's making money off your own likeness. It is a, in a way I give Gavin Newsom and I, I caught him on an interview today. He's a slick politician, boy. I mean, there's nothing dumb about this guy. You listen to him talk. He's got, he'd got an answer for everything. Um, we don't get political on this podcast, but I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention he's one of the many California politicians that bankrupt the state uh, and the, you know they, they've had they've had some financial issues over there based on some leadership. You can take that for what it's worth. But in this case, the brilliant part of this play, if you will, is that you take you take the uh, hey we can't pay them money out of the equation because you're not asking these universities and their athletic departments to offer another cent because if they can make money off their likeness. That doesn't go against anything. And I've always said for – I've had this debate going back to when I hosted a daily show for 20 years. Um, the big – the pink elephant in the room, I don't even know if it's pink because people don't seem to know it's there. They don't even see it. One of the things that – the reason why there's been so much fighting over quote-unquote paying college athletes I, is because – Right now, this whole multi-million slash billion-dollar industry—you know how much taxes are pent, uh, spent on it, JC? How many? Zero. Hmm. Zero. You don't pay taxes on it. All the TV revenue, all the ticket revenue, all the donations—it's all tax-free, and you can get away with that because technically, college athletics is not a business. That is that has always been the loophole. I remember one time SEC media days, I'm sitting there with Tony Barnhart for a station in Atlanta and we get the commissioner at the time, the late Mike Slive. And at that time they just raised what's called the cost of attendance. We familiar with this, right? Oh yeah. 
Okay, so the SEC was the, the, the trailblazer in that, and I think most of the Power Five leagues do this now, where essentially it means, and on top of giving them free education, free room and board, free meals, free shoes, free this, free that, free, 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 we can also give them another six, seven grand where they can spend it on whatever they want, and we, we call it cost of attendance. And I asked the commissioner, I said, so can we see more of this, the stipend that you now have implemented? And he was quick to correct me, said, Mike, it's not a stipend. It's cost of attendance. Because, again, they don't want any appearance of it's a business, and they don't want to be taxed. So by calling it cost of attendance, it's a nice way of saying, well, this is what a typical college kid needs. Here's my stance. I'm going to say it one last time. I have never been against college athletes getting as much as they can. What I don't like is the dishonest jumping off point of this debate by so many that have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. No idea because they've never been around college athletics. They've never been. They've never covered a college program. They don't know the ins and outs, and they don't know college athletes. This is not the 1970s, folks, where they're waiting for their $10 a month laundry money. These kids don't suffer in the way they can't afford a pizza or they can't afford to take their girlfriend in the movies. How many times have you heard this crap? It is unbelievable nonsense. They get everything paid for, and if they come from – which many do, say the inner cities or a poor rural part of the country, they get Pell Grant money, thousands of dollars, not loans like most of us had to take in college, pure money that they never pay back, and they can spend it on whatever the heck they want because everything's already paid for. Then on cost of attendance, cost of attendance, six grand might not sound like much, but if you're a college kid and everything else is paid for, six grand here plus a Pell Grant, maybe another six, they've got money. Are they rich? No. Do they make a, a great percentage of what these school, the major schools bring in? No. And what you're going to find out in reality is once you get older and you get in the real workforce, everybody you work for, the people that own it and the people that run it make a hell of a lot more money than you. That's just the case. I've been in broadcasting my whole life, and I've been fortunate enough to make a, a decent living at it as time has gone on. And I'm very happy with what I make, and I, I, I couldn't be happier. I have no complaints. But I know the people that are my bosses and that own the companies that I've worked for, they make a hell of a lot more, more money than I do. And that's always the way it's been in, in business and in life. So, yes, the programs, the money that they're going to bring in is always going to be more than what the college athletes make. I have no problem if they want to double the cost of attendance, triple the cost of attendance. Don't care. Just don't tell me they don't get anything and don't tell me an education is worthless. And don't overlook the fact that most of these kids would not even get into these schools with the GPA and the test scores that they're covering. It's always been a look the other, turn the other cheek type of two-way, if you want to call it a manipulation, fine. But it, <laughs> it's happening on both sides. So I say all that to get to this. If this thing continues to pass, and it looks like it's going to, the NCAA can't just brush this off and kind of go be heavy-handed and ignore it. I'm okay with it, but again, let's have an honest conversation. And I've heard too many people, too many talking heads in national media say, well, everybody is saying, you don't speak for me. Everybody is not saying this, that, or the other. I, I'm an adult male. I, 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 you, find, you put 10 of us in a room, 
We're not a monolith. We won't agree on anything. Okay? Uh, so when you say things like, uh, everybody is saying that this is going to ruin college athletics forever. No, that's not what everyone's saying. I'm not saying that. Everyone's saying that uh, that there's going to be rampant cheating. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, if you're going to be honest about this, there is going to be unbelievable tampering with this, illegitimate jobs, uh, illegitimate, you know, quote unquote, paying kids for their likeness. There's going to be rampant abuse of this rule, and I don't know how in the hell the NCAA or any other organization that they come up with for Power 5 schools is going to monitor it. So just understand, when this happens, college athletics as you know it is going to be different, and the haves are really going to be able to abuse this to the utmost extreme. You have to be able to at least put that into the into the pot if you're going to talk about what the good and bad of all this is. And what I'm hearing is none of that. I'm just hearing how the kids are exploited, they're manipulated, and somehow LeBron James really cares. I don't care what LeBron James cares about anything. I don't need LeBron James to be the moral compass of college athletics. So just keep all that in mind when you see all this coming down. But, JC, I will say this. It is coming down and changes the most radical of their kind since you and I have been watching college athletics. Radical changes are going to be coming very, very soon. Well, all right. There's two ways you can do. It. There's three ways you can do this. And and look, I'm. I think that you have to. You know, if you're going to talk about the free market and all that good stuff, um, you know, people are talking about. Well, they're going to have to put a cap on it. Well, that's not the free market. You know, capitalism is you can make as much money as you are possibly as you as your worth. You can go get your worth. Go get your value. Um. And, and I think what people are looking at it is they're looking at it the wrong way. Um, but I'll get to that in a second because that kind of ties into my other points. You know, number one, the NCAA could institute some BS thing where it's like, oh, well, we're going to cap it at this and you can't get the money till you get out and all this. And that's fine. But I think legally, you know, you could still challenge that, Mike. I mean, that, like I said, that's that's not the free market. You know, number two. Uh, what you could do is is you could just say, okay, it's free for all, and um, you know there's a, there's a saying out in Texas that there's money and there's oil money. Um, what's to keep oil money booster from A and M or Texas? Because believe me, those folks can write checks. <laughs> you yes. know, they, people. Some of these schools think they have money. You know, um, what's going to keep them from saying, well, well, heck, we'll buy a million jerseys. Soon as you sign, we'll buy a million of your jerseys. A million. It'll be worth it, wouldn't it? That's life changing money. Why wouldn't you sign with Texas A and M? And the other boosters couldn't do it. So you you create a very unbalanced playing field because, you know, what are you gonna do? Tell the boosters they can't buy jerseys and stuff? No. We'll put your face right up on a billboard. You could be the spokesperson for my oil company. Oh, <laughs> great. Or whatever, you know. Um, and so that's another way to look at it. Here's the final way I'd look at it. Just say, okay, um, you have to sign a waiver and sign away your rights to compensation if you're going to play college football at an NCAA school. Um, because, and you have to say that you are compensated for your likeness. 
Um, and for us to use you, you have, you have to sign a legal contract with us for you to get the scholarship and you can't make any money. And then the states can't, the law at that point doesn't matter because it's a binding business contract. And the guys that don't want to do it, go start a minor league for football. Go play in the G League. Because I guarantee you this, Mike, and here's what people are missing about this, okay? And it's not about entitlement. I think it is sad. I think they should do something. They should, you know, I, I think college football players should have, you know, health insurance for a long time after they play and, and, and things like that. I think there are tangible things we can do to give student athletes their piece of the pie. I also think that, you know, hey, you want to have a guy go out and say, you know, and you really control it and limit it and say, all right, for an hour every week, you can sign autographs for, you know, market value and make a little extra cash for your fans. That's a good thing. That's innocuous, but you have to control it. But if you really want to get right down to it, you're only talking about 10 players on a football roster a year. You know, most of the basketball guys are the one and duns anyway. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody would miss them. The rest of these guys are just guys that are there for their scholarships. And here's the bottom line that some people don't get. Pro sports is about the name on the back of the jersey very often. Not so much in football, but a lot of times it is. They're superstars, right? These are professional athletes. College sports are about the name on the front of the jersey. I don't care if you say, all right, the top 30 players off every roster in the country or, or you know, they, they, they want to go play in a minor league somewhere, do it. You'll get about, you know, 1,000 people per game. <laughs> Maybe you could work it into the XFL or something and have a good product and everybody's watching it. But these household names aren't going to be household names because of the enormity uh, of college football. And that your branding as a as a – you know, a student athlete or a, a potential professional athlete, the colleges help your brand. Nobody's tuning in to watch, oh, I need to go watch, um, you know, so-and-so play. No, you're, 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 nobody was tuning in to watch Mitch Trubisky play except scouts. They were tuning in to watch North Carolina. They had a mediocre year that year so what what fans did tune in to watch them there you're not you're not going to the game to see you know this guy play. i mean very rarely very rarely now i know it's like you have zion williamson and stuff and so some people will come to that and things like that but the the, the support the money all this money that the college college athletics are making it's not about individual players it's about the colleges and the programs that people love and have an affinity for and I think that's what people, where people are kind of missing the boat on this is that, you know, you want to take the top 100 football players in the country and put them in a minor league and let them go get paid and brand themselves, great. You'll probably be out of a your, – your, your league is going to go belly up because nobody's going to watch it. And nobody's going to know who these guys are. You right. know, and, and, and I guarantee you, Mike, there's 30 other guys you can bring onto the roster that will go play and the game won't suffer at all. Correct. And for that matter, um, and look, I love Zion Williamson. I think he's a great kid. I want to see him achieve um, great success in the NBA. Zion would have been, in a way, must-see TV no matter what. But if if Zion Williamson signed a contract at San Diego State, (laughs) excuse me, signed a a scholarship at San Diego State, it's not the same. If Tua is doing what he's doing at Tulsa, Instead of Alabama, 
we're not paying attention. My point is, to, to piggyback on yours, it, 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 these kids do benefit from the brand of where they're going to school. Let's not pretend that they don't. It's an, first, you know, in addition to the training, I get a tour of all these weight rooms on, on, on these college camps. They're ridiculous. These are now NFL compounds in terms of what these kids have access to. Forget about I can't I can't afford a pizza. They got they got nutritionists on staff making them smoothies every day, custom made meals. I, I I'm all for it. Pamper them if you will, but let's be honest about a couple of things. You're right. College football, basketball, what have you, it's going to be fine. If you want to take the top 100 kids and let them go, minor, uh, people are still going. They still care. They still love the sport. So it is more about the front than the back. The only thing I would say about your point on there's only going to be five, ten kids that, that really per, per, program, per elite program that actually benefit this. In terms of true demand, I think you're right. In terms of artificial demand Mm, that's the problem that's the problem and by artificial demand what i mean is there is nothing stopping and this is where again uh, uh, with all due respect to mr newsom he doesn't he doesn't care about this i mean he he can go ahead throw his grenade uh, and and put his name on this legislation and then he's hanging out with lebron james at a barber shop and he's he's racking up cool points with some folks doing all this but he doesn't have to worry about the after effect he doesn't have to worry about the repercussions and the repercussions are this the artificial demand i speak of is if you got a program with boosters with a lot of money and let's face it there are a number of them out there in the power 5 i can go ahead and create artificial demand i can go ahead and say uh, I own this car dealership, and I'm going to pay these kids $10,000 today to sign autographs, and I'm going to take the offensive line and the defensive line. Now, none of those kids are selling a bunch of jerseys, but uh, I don't have to prove that. I don't have to prove actual demand. I create the market. It's artificial demand. It's like pumping and dumping a stock. I mean, it's you, there's so many loopholes that people aren't talking about. So it's so easy to just get behind this and say, "Oh, that's right! What a great idea! This is this is this is what we need for the downtrodden, manipulated, exploited college athlete." But I can't wait to see the logistics of it. <laughs> it's real. It, it's like anything else. It's real easy to come up with an idea. It's a lot harder to actually implement it properly, where it works. And I I, I think that's where smarter people that don't just want to get their name on a bill really need to sit down and say, okay, 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 okay. Let's go ahead and do something like this and and get extra money and not lose our tax-exempt status and not ruffle the feathers of this, that, and the other. But let's do it in a way where we can't have rampant abuse of it. Uh, And I know some people are like, well, what the hell is the difference? Let them pay them whatever. Let the... Let T, the late T Boone Pickens, you know, whatever version of that is around now at some other school, let him go ahead and pay a million dollars a year to bogus artificial demand college football basketball player type of um, making money off their own likeness situations. Let's just do it anyway. And who who does that hurt? Nobody. Well, it hurts the balance of college athletics. <laughs> it's it's if you go back to the eight, it's the closest thing we would have to the 1980s and the wild wild west of of rampant cheating and recruiting Uh, and you might just say well i don't care about that either well i promise you 
you will care when it does affect your team or your school. And some of the people that are barking the loudest about this hmm. are, are people that don't even care about college athletics. They, they, they didn't, they, they, they don't follow it. They don't care about it. They just look at it in a political sense that these, these are people that don't have a lot of money. And these are people that do have a lot of, a lot of money. And let's just go ahead and turn this thing upside down and change the whole thing. And that's great for them. But for those of us that actually value college athletics and want it to succeed and want it to be on the up and up, you got to really think this through before you just start passing bills and pushing them through. And now the pressure is on all the states that don't do it because you don't want to be that school that's watching your competitor that is able to create artificial demand, have all these kids having advantages in recruiting because they're getting wink, wink. Uh, likeness proceeds when we can't do it. So it, it's, I'd hate to be Mark Emmert right. Well, I'd hate to be Mark Emmert. Period. But I'd, I'd hate to be Mark Emmert right now because the ball is in his court, and they're going to have to really figure some, some some things out. You can't just sit back and wave your mighty sword and say, "I can ignore this. Not going to happen. I'm going to ban you from <laughs> this." And yeah, it, it ain't going to work anymore, Mark. You, you got to come up with something creative here and try to make this work the best way that you can all right we have made this podcast work for another installment jc we got great news mentioned at the top pass along we've we have now expanded onto bigger and greater formats and platforms what's uh what's up going what's going on with the way this has been disseminated the way people can pick up jc and morgan yes okay so if you are a subscriber to the jc and morgan podcast on itunes or google play um Anywhere, anywhere except SoundCloud. Now, if you uh, access it on SoundCloud, you're gonna have to go to iTunes or someplace like that. Um, but our podcast is now part of the 24/7 Sports family of podcasts. Uh, if you look on 24/7 Sports, go to the tab at the top of the page, podcast. Uh, you scroll down. There's lots of uh, football, college football podcast, and a lot of great stuff for. Individual teams, um, just about every team that's, you know, got a following out there has a pod, and uh, we're really looking to expand that. So JC and Morgan now, after three years, is part of that family of podcasts. And with that, we have some better distribution for those of you that are on Spotify that like to listen to your podcast on Spotify. The JC Morgan podcast is now on Spotify. So Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Mania. Um, there's a, there's a platform called megaphone 24 seven sports, just about anywhere you want to find podcasts. You can find JC and Morgan. There are no more excuses. <laughs> you, you must now go get your JC and Morgan podcast, but please, I encourage everybody, um, go to 24 seven sports, click the tab that says podcast, scroll through. Um, even if you've never been there before, you may find another podcast you like, uh, in addition to, um, Obviously, your favorite college football podcast right here, the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Love it. Love it. The news keeps just getting on, keeps getting better and better. And um, again, thanks to everybody. Uh, Many of you have been around since day one and have watched this thing kind of grow over time. And some of you are new to it. Tell your tell your friends, tell whoever you want. Uh, Hopefully they'll continue to enjoy it as well. We're going to go ahead and enjoy a little time off before the next one a week from now. In the meantime, for J.C. Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan. Thanks so much for once again tuning in to the J.C. and Morgan podcast.